right back in the control seat right on the control panel again where i like to be there's no doubt <laughs> every other podcasting week is a great week Episode i know that much oh man episode four who thought back when we started this thing we'd get here uh, me i i said last just like three days ago that we're gonna do at least 100 episodes but who knows if we'll have any more followers mm-hmm. no i uh i'm excited for today you've been talking this up a lot to me and you know again we sat at dinner before this in pure silence total silence i wonder what the therapists out there are saying about our marriage based on the fact that we have one topic we live for every week <laughs> i wonder how many people can like we convinced at dinner tonight that they were like no way am i ever getting married look at those two schlubs I mean, they said there was one schlub, but there was a beautiful woman sitting across from that schlub. So. <laughs> but still, not convinced but to get still, married. But still. Uh, I think, Adam, you're going to tell us what we're drinking today, right? Yes, I am. Today we are drinking <clears throat> from our friends at Leon and Son, or Leon and Son, on uh, Cherry Street in Grand Rapids. It's called Raisins Galois. What? Raisins Galois is the name of the is the name of the vineyard. It's Vin de France. Vin de Francais? Mm-hmm. Oui. Okay. Red wine, 2018. So the person at Leon and Son was explaining this bottle to me, and it's I it's from like a certain region, and mm-hmm. it's from this winery. Um, and this bottle is this winemaker's fun wine. And that's why the you'll have to take a look at it in the show notes, find it um, and get a gander at the label. It's just funny. Like the man's like crushing grapes right into his mouth. Um, This little like cartoon character. And so I was told this is his fun wine. Also, this is a French wine and I don't typically love French wine, but this is probably my favorite bottle we've had on the podcast so far. This is my favorite bottle we've had. It is so good. I am totally like I stand corrected. Because this wine is tasty and I would drink this any time. This bottle is 3.8 stars on Vivino. It's not is, high enough. Which is not high enough. It's not high enough. It's no. so good. But I wonder how many reviews it has. Um, I mean, most people think it's strawberry, earthy, cranberry, raspberry, and cherry. Yeah, it is fruity. Are the most, um, you know, are the most uh, common traits we see here. Uh, it's, yeah, it's Raisins Galois, G-A-U-L-O-I-S from 2018. It's good. You guys, if you're it's local a $16 to bottle, get this bottle. Or $18 bottle. Average price is $17.99. So yeah, you should get a, it. It's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Two thumbs up from Adam and Beth. So there's a topic that I've been wanting to talk about. And so I'm going to tell you a story about um, a wrongful conviction case mm-hmm. and the story of that. And then we're going to, yeah, dive in. I don't know that I believe there's ever been one wrongful conviction case in the history of the country, but I, I can, you're... you can open my mind to it. Yeah. I think you're going to believe it after today. Okay. Um, so I got, I, I 
found the information um, about this case that I want to talk about um, from an article on the University of Michigan's law website, actually, by Maurice Posley. And then I also looked on the Innocence Project and Centurion Ministries. That's where I got all my information for this case. So I'm jumping in. On July 28th, 1993, Tito Marino is working the day shift at his uncle's video store, Victoria's Videos in Patterson, New Jersey. Um, Again, 1993, try to picture that video store. You've got movies being rented, returned, things you can buy. Mm -hmm. A lot of VHS tapes. Yeah, camcorders, videos, cassette tapes. Really popular and like totally necessary. This is the only way to watch movies. Um, it's altogether seems like a quiet day. It's a Wednesday afternoon. And from what I read in articles that we can see Tito, um, working in the store, he's like messing with the air conditioner on video at around 1 PM. And at 1 PM, Tito was found stabbed to death in the back of the store. The store had been ransacked and robbed. Inventory of the store showed that about 150 in cash was missing, a video cassette recorder, three car radios, and five watches. So just right away, I'm like, doesn't seem like enough to kill somebody for. Yeah. Like, even in 1993, $150, if you sell all that stuff, how much are you getting total? Probably still less than 1000 right? Yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. That's all that's missing. Okay. So the following day, a witness, Carmen Paredes, tells police that she was in the store around 1.20 on July 28th and nearly bumped into a black man who was wearing a green baseball hat backwards. Police had her try to identify someone from a book of mug shots, but she was unable to. Um, and then Centurion Ministries summary of the case states that the cap was actually green and purple plaid so i saw that on another article too um so i think that she says she sees a green hat and it's referred to as a green hat but it seems like it might actually be green and purple okay just for reference another witness majdi musa said that he went into the store around 1 30 p.m to return a video and a black man a black man came out from the back and told him to leave the video on the counter majdi noticed that the man had blood coming from his ear and scratches and blood on his right arm he also stated that the man was not wearing a hat police also showed him the book of mugshots and he did not identify anyone either the same day on July 29th, so these all, all, all of these things happened one day after the murder. Police get another tip from a woman named Alice Nieves. Okay. She says she hears three women talking about the crime at a laundromat that is right next door to Victoria's videos. In her statement, she says three women say that it was two black men and a white man who did it. She also says she believes the women live at this apartment building down on the corner, which is near the video store. And the police are never able to locate these three women to get a statement from them. So this is like a person. They get a statement from a person overhearing a conversation, but never from the women who supposedly said this. Hmm. Doesn't seem like thorough investigating from where I'm sitting. I mean, yeah, it's there's nothing even to this point that implicates anyone. Yeah, for sure. And the people who were actually in the store saw one person. 
Yeah. And now three women who we can't find and have no idea how or why they would know say that they think this is happening. Two black men and a white man. Three three people. Now up to the all up to this point, all the witnesses who gave statements to the police had given their names. But on July 30th, two days after the murder, the next then um, a confidential witness names two people. So we have like this witness who gives her name and says she hears people saying that it's two black men and a white man. And now we have a confidential witness who names two people, a man called EK and another person who the informant refers to as the son of Mr. Lee. The source says they had seen both men in front of the video store around the same time the murder took place. Two statements now align for the police because Mr. Lee lives on the second floor of the apartment building that Alice says she thought those three women lived in the three women they could never find. Um, that is enough corroborating evidence for detective Richard Reyes. He goes to the apartment, finds Ralph Lee and Lee agrees to an interview at around the same time. Reyes says that he sees a man approach him and abruptly cross the street. So Reyes stops him and this man identifies himself as Eric Kelly known around the neighborhood as EK. <laughs> there's a lot of information here. There's a lot going on. Okay, there's so a lot just, of people. Can you can you give me there's a There's a lot of people. So the two people that have been named are Ralph Lee and Eric Kelly. Reyes goes to the apartment building where Ralph Lee lives. He asks Lee to come down to the station to be interviewed and Lee agrees. At the same time, Eric Kelly happens to be walking on the street. And crosses when he sees the police, which I can understand. Yeah, totally. I'm fine with that for sure. Yes, there's nothing. There's just been a murder. Like I'm just trying to like stay away from you. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with staying away from a police officer. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing. Yeah, but for me, I just think like I'm not saying this didn't happen, but also I'm like, what are the chances of that? Like he goes to talk to Ralph Lee, and then the other person that he needs ek eric kelly is right there also yeah and he picks them they pick them both up right then Convenient. at the same time yeah um and they go like without they don't run they they both like voluntarily go with the police to give a statement they're brought in to the police station and interrogated separately we learned that their interrogations were not recorded and the detectives took no notes very normal police work Thorough, so completely thorough. Completely thorough. Right. So it, uh, it's just so. Th- all right. Well, I'm going to wait. I'm, I'm holding it. I'm stuffing it. I'm going to tell the story. In a six page statement written up by Detective Reyes, he states that Eric Kelly confesses to going into the video store with Lee following and a man named David Hancock, who is white, stays outside to be the lookout. At this time, Eric is 28 and Ralph is 30 years old. In this written statement by Reyes, all the details the police need to tie Eric Kelly and Ralph Lee to the murder are confessed to by Eric Kelly. The third person is added. Eric says he stabbed Tito behind the counter. Eric says he stole $150. He names the items that were stolen as well. He says that Tito is Hispanic and around 22 years old. Then the statement proceeds to describe how Kelly and Hancock go and sell the items stolen to a supermarket and a bodega, which was all that was all denied by the owners of those two places. So when p- 
police go to ask and don't like I get it like if that actually did happen I'm sure that they wouldn't admit that they purchased stolen items from someone but just to make it be known police could not corroborate that with the owners they went to the owners and asked if they purchased those items and the owners both denied that um, and then they used the money to buy drugs and go back to meet Ralph Lee at his apartment where they quote unquote sniffed the dope that was mm. quoted in Reyes's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kelly also says in the statement that he had Marino's blood on his clothes and he threw the knife away. He changed out of his bloody clothes at his mother's house and put them in the dirty laundry. When the police went to her house to inquire about the clothes, she stated that she had already done the laundry. So the police collected nothing and tested nothing. Again, seems like exceptional by the book police work. Right. Like you can't just like wash DNA out of clothes. Isn't it brutal that like we're at this place where I can I know where this is going. You know what I mean? Well, we know where it's going because this is a wrongful conviction. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like this happens. This a lot. Is, this isn't like. The story is going to make you wonder how much this happens. Okay. Um, so they use Ralph Lee to corroborate the story of the witnesses who came in and saw a black man in the store. He basically says he helps Kelly, Eric Kelly, kill Tito Marino and then carry his body to the back of the store. And then Kelly and Hancock leave and he stays in the store to try to steal more stuff. This is when the two witnesses come in just right away. I have problems with that. It makes no sense. The police needed it to be a singular black man in the store Mm -hmm. and they fed him all of this information. But if he tried, if he stayed in the store, store to steal more stuff that would take all of like two minutes max yeah. for him to just grab a handful of things and leaves he he grabs nothing else hmm. it makes it, it just doesn't make any no. sense so lee kelly and ha- hancock get charged with murder robbery conspiracy and illegal use of a weapon on july 31st they show two photographic lineups that include kelly and lee to Musa, and he is the one that came he said he came into the store um to return the video and he actually spoke to the perpetrator of the of the crime the remember the perpetrator said just put it on the desk and go the perp the perp and um he didn't identify anyone from the lineups so he he looked that person in the face he knew they had blood behind their ear Mm -hmm gashes on their arm and spoke to that eric and ralph were both in the lineups he didn't identify anybody on august 4th the police showed two photographic lineups to paredes the woman the woman who almost bumped into a black man with a green hat on backwards in the store she identifies ralph lee as the man wearing the green baseball cap the FBI conduct DNA testing on the trace amounts of DNA found on the cap, which excluded Eric Kelly. It also excluded Ralph Lee if the DNA was from one person. If it was mixed, which could not be determined, then Lee was not excluded. So basically, they were like, you're excluded if it's from one person, but if it's from two people, which we can't tell, you're not excluded. So we're just going to say you're not excluded. Man. (laughs) So like that was your hat, wasn't it? Man. 
Shortly after they're charged, both men recant their confessions. Lee even testified at his own trial saying that he confessed because he had been threatened by someone the morning after the murder and he was afraid for his safety and his family members' safety. He also said that he had been beaten by police at the station. Lee also testified that Eric Kelly had a serious brain injury from a car accident years prior, and ever since then, anyone would be able to influence him to say anything. Isn't that sad? It's so sad, man. It's just like, it's just like the rage that starts to build within me. Yeah. When, I, when I hear the story after story after, st- I mean, you know, like turn on Netflix and search for anything I like know. this. And you can find 55 stories. Right. Just the rage that builds, just like the anger. Like you can, you can just, this whole thing is basically predicated on a bunch of potentials and borderline lying. To, for everything you've said so far, these police officers are just basically creating this, creating this crime scene, basically. Or they're creating the, the, the they're circumstances around it. it. Yeah. They're forcing it. Yeah, exactly. If it doesn't want to go, they're going to make it go. That is like, just listen to people. I, I wonder how many times both of these men said, like, I did not do this until like you get hit in the head so many times. And it wasn't recorded or written. There's no, no notes. No videotape. No recording tape. No. And this is 93. Yeah. Um. In February of 1996, Eric Kelly is convicted of all charges and sentenced to life in prison. In April of 1996, Ralph Lee is also convicted of all charges and sentenced to life in prison. So a year prior to that, in 1995, Hancock, who was the white man who was the lookout, quote unquote, to fit into the narrative, was offered a plea deal to plead guilty and get seven years in prison if he admitted his involvement and testified against Eric and Ralph. He rejected the offer. After the convictions of um, Ralph Lee and Eric Kelly, all of the charges against Hancock are dismissed. They don't even go after him. And so again, I'm like, nothing. They have nothing. Good for Hancock for not being like, yeah, I'll take the seven years. I'm probably going to get life. And doesn't that show you that he's like, I was not there. I'm not going to accept seven years. Exactly. It also shows you that prosecutors are looking to get convictions. Yeah. So who totally. So they're like, we're not going to let's just not try him because we're not going to get it. Yeah. And they could probably sleep a tiny bit easier that night. I also read, too, that part of their decision to not prosecute him was that neither Eric or Ralph were would say that he did it. They wouldn't even to like lessen their sentence or anything. And I'm like, you guys are heroes. Yeah. Like they and they they probably already like especially Eric probably already felt terrible enough having brought both of them into it and not being able to like really help it. Yeah. And he implicated these two people because he was coerced to do that. All right. So we fast forward to 2010. Eric Kelly is being represented by the innocence project Mm -hmm. and Ralph Lee by Centurion ministries. They get a court order to have the DNA retested using much newer technology than when originally performed in 1994. And you guys, I listen to true crime all the time. DNA every single year right now for the last, you know, 10 years. It's just incredible how much more they can do with it every year. Like science is coming for you. Yeah. For all of you who Mm -hmm. actually did something wrong. The days, the day of reckoning is coming. Yeah. 
Like this is what's happening. In 2014, it is reported that the DNA profile on the hat had been isolated and it excluded both Eric Kelly and Ralph Lee. When the FBI enters the DNA into their database, there's a match. Shocker. That man's name is Eric Dixon. He also lived in Patterson and had previously been convicted of a similar crime in 1989, not far from the video store. Who saw that coming? I know. I mean, I saw it coming because I was on the Innocence Project's website. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But seriously, yeah. Like, you just, oh, it's so irritating. In that crime, Dixon goes into a store called AfroKing and holds the owner at knife point and tells her to give him the money in the register. The crime is interrupted by customers who come into the store and Dixon flees the scene. Police catch him and he pleads guilty to the crime in 1990. He is released from prison three months before the murder of Tito Marino. Mm. So we have this information in regards to the DNA in 2014. The lawyers for the two men, Vanessa Potkin from the Innocence Project and Paul Castellario from Centurion Ministries, file a motion for the new trial. And just really quickly, the Innocence Project is representing Eric Kelly and Centurion Ministries is representing Ralph Lee. They file a motion for a new trial in September of 2017. This is three years later since the DNA excluded them from the hat and seven years later since the court ordered to retest the DNA. Seven years since the course in 2010, the court granted an order to retest the DNA. We're now seven years later being granted a new trial. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's put ourselves in their shoes for just one minute. I can't even. It's you're so- sitting in a cell in 2010 and your yeah. lawyer calls and says, Hey, great news. There's been a court order to retest the DNA. Yeah. And you sit for seven years on the same evidence that grants you a new trial. Well, they say we got the court order to retest the DNA. You celebrate because you know, your DNA is not on the hat. One month goes by, two months goes by, three months, a season, another holiday, a year, a year and a half, two years, three years, four years. We finally get the results of that DNA. The DNA is finally took tested. four years, four years to get it tested. It was ordered in 2010. They got the results in 2014. They're both excluded. There is huge evidence saying that they were not at the scene of the crime. The hat was the only forensic evidence. There were no prints and they never found the knife. (laughs) So. uh, Yeah. So there's nothing to put them at the scene of the crime. They know that now three more years go by. They're granted a new trial. Like I'm almost speechless. You know what I mean? Like, this is 1993. It takes to 2010 to get the evidence retested. Yeah. And then it takes seven, four years to get that evidence actually tested. Yes. And then three more years after that to get a new trial granted. Yes. What in the literal hell are we doing? I know. From a, from like a judicial standpoint. This is why I want to talk about this. What the hell are we doing? Right. This is not that hard. This is not that hard. It's not hard when science is slapping you in the face with it 
It's science, but it's also like procedural stuff. Like whose job is it to push this stuff through? Like who's the person that is like, No, that's what I mean. We don't need to, we don't need to like worry about pushing it through when the science is telling you it's okay to do that. Sure. But my thing is like this. In 2010, they said the sci- we can look at science, and it took four years for the actual science to happen. I know, and that's because I think because the way that it's set up, like the state doesn't want to lose this conviction, so they drag their feet. But it's like there's no there's nothing more to hang on to anymore. Like the science is telling you you are wrong, so why are you dragging your feet? Yeah, because it's the whole reason they got there in the first place is they want convictions, and right. then they control then the state controls that conviction once it's done. Okay. Yes. So in September of 2017. Oh, I can't do this, man. (laughs) I literally can't do it. I can't do it. You have to hang in there. In September of 2017, that's when they, um, they're going to be granted a new trial, right? Great. In November, both men are released on bond. The prosecution appeals. Isn't it crazy? Sorry to cut you off, but isn't it crazy that after 24 years, my math is correct, Mm -hmm. 24 years, they still have to pay to get out of prison for what the evidence is telling them is like, you're probably innocent, but you still have to pay to get out of this. Yep. The prosecution appeals this. So basically, they just don't even want it to go to. They don't want them to get a, a retrial. Oh, really? So they appeal it. Oh, they appeal that decision. The state appeals it. Yeah, the prosecution. Yep. And in March, of New tr- Jersey, man, I'm telling you, I live there. I'm a former New Jerseyan. Like that place can literally eat a brick. You know what I mean? Like they can just chew on one yeah. for about 25 hours, as far as I'm concerned. For this, they can. In March of 2018. So now they were released in November of 2017. Now it's March of 2018. The court upholds the order to vacate the convictions and grant a new trial. And then on April 6th, 2018, so roughly a month or less later, the prosecution simply dismisses the charges and they are both free men. No trial. Did they still have to get their bail money back? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sure not. They're like suing. They're suing like the city. They're suing Patterson. Hell yeah, they should sue them. Exactly. They both are. But my point is, what really bothers me is that the prosecution had this last ditch effort of like, let's just appeal this order that grants a new trial and try to get that stopped. Because if we go to a new trial, we know we have no case. Of course. That of just course. bothers me to my core. It should. It's infuriating. It's like, we can't go to trial. We'll never win. There's no evidence against these men, but we want to keep them in prison. For what? For what? To be right. It's yes, to be right. It's to be right. And so when the when the judge basically is like, no, we're not. Like, they're getting a new trial. The prosecution just dismisses the charges. They're both free men. No trial. Eric is now 52 years old and Ralph is 54. A couple of quotes that I found that Did they get any compensation. Like a lot I don't know. Of, a lot of times when you're wrongfully convicted, they'll give you like $30,000 a year for every year. You were, yes. You are. I don't even think it's that much to yeah. be honest with you. I don't think it's 30,000. Um, but yeah, I think that I think so. That's probably a state by state. I mean, not that it's 
Not that it's... It's something. They should. They should get something. I know, but not that it's like, oh, great. They got $400,000 for 35 years in, of their lives in prison or whatever I know, it is. But they still deserve what chance do what what shot do they have like at 52 years old well this is really sweet let me read you some stuff that's that's really cool so a couple of quotes from it um vanessa potkin who is the lawyer for the innocence project who represented eric kelly said rather than investigate the person whose dna was found at the scene the prosecutors chose to cling to the conviction felt i just thought that was poignant like she just said it it is that is what's happening like, oh, yeah, 100 percent know who was there. And they the this case of Tino Marino now is an unsolved cold case. We know who did it. They're not going to prosecute him because it's been 25 years. Um, And it's so sad. So this person is just going to get away with it because they can't rely on people's memories. But it's like you have his DNA. I don't understand yeah. why you don't even try. I was going to say this earlier, but I was waiting for this moment. Is it so one of the saddest things too about this is that th- like three lives were lost in the story. I know. And two of them we can get really raged about because they were, they're, they're all senseless. Two of which were caused by the state, but one like Tino, like his life is gone. He has family that right. mourns him, siblings that mourn him. You know, I assume siblings that mourn him, friends that mourn him probably every yeah. day. No, they, 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 uh, let the family know, like they kept the family in the loop on when they like overturned the convictions and they told, they let the family know. So he does, he has family that misses him. That was a family owned video video store. It was his uncle's like, it seems altogether like a close family and it is tragic. And then we also don't know, like if Eric Dixon was willing to commit a crime so quickly, from being released from prison and kill somebody over $150. I I can't in my mind figure out why he wouldn't do it again. We don't know if he killed anybody else. He was not put in prison. Yeah. Um, And he was not tried for anything. So the judge who vacated the convictions in regard to the state's failure to investigate alternate suspects was quoted saying that it's probably the best example of tunnel vision that one can imagine. So I'm like, finger claps for you, judge, for not just thank you for being fair. All right. So Eric, upon his release now, since he has moved into his own apartment and works at a union job at a hotel in Manhattan. His brother, Tony, was quoted saying, wow, this is finally going to happen for it to come this far. Get granted a new trial. It's amazing. 24 years I have no worries. I am just so happy for him. I wish my mother and father were here to see this. Oh, I know it makes me like a little teary eyed. It's it's like life, man. Like you get one shit, you get, you get this opportunity and then this happens and parents lose out on having kids. I know. I know they, they won't have the chance. They likely won't have the chance to have their own families, children of their own. And you know what kills me? You know what absolutely kills me? Can I have a, an honest moment? Yeah. And I hope if you're listening to this and you disagree with me, like you turn this off and come back next week. But like this might piss you off. I don't care. The people, the prosecutors who did this knew full well what they were doing and they didn't care. No, they did not. They knew full well. They knew that they didn't have the evidence, but they pushed through with their the with their power that they held to get this to get this conviction. Yeah. And if you think that they're doing their the best they can, that's just 
complete and utter BS. No, it's not. They they're trying not. to close a, They're trying to close the case on that because it's about it's a prosecutor. It's about closing cases. Sometimes you just you get that feeling too that they they just label someone as the person that did it, and they will not accept anything else. They just when I when I watch these documentaries about wrongful convictions like Adnan Sayed and there's all this compelling evidence that we've now found things have been overturned and the the prosecutor is like I have no doubts that he did it no doubts and I'm like well you should have a doubt any every single other human being on the planet has a doubt that he did this except 100%. for you 100% and these you're 100% right and these people that do this should be worried about if there is any kind of judgment one day you should be worried you're going there because what you're doing yes because what you're doing is you're ending someone's life they treat these people like a form of currency like if i can like sell this then i can buy more wealth for my career it would be interesting it's just oh yeah 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 no i know you're right it's it's like sales it is so this was a question this okay so i have oh man i have like 15 things okay 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 chris our friend chris is gonna be we're at minute 35 right now he's probably losing his mind he's like i told you 30 minutes 30 minutes i told you 30 minutes (laughs) that's my impression of chris who will be on the cast soon (laughs) i told you 30 minutes adam (laughs) we love chris he's one of my best friends i love him more than anything, but he's got opinions. But we can't keep anything to thirty minutes. No, Chris, you should know. Not when there's injustices like this in the world, Chris. You want to shut? You want to shut up injustice? Fine, that's on you, but not on us. Exactly. So Ralph Lee Senior was quoted as saying, "It's been a long time. It's a lot of work. It ain't easy. I'm glad they will be out, and I can be with him. I have a job for him at my small business of waxing wood floors." Ralph started working with me at age 11. He's a good worker. And I just, the thing that really stood out to me in those two statements was that these families knew how important it is for people who are coming out of prison to be rehabilitated back into society. Mm -hmm. And they wanted all of us to know, like, we have a plan for them. We're, they're going to be with us. Like we have jobs for them. Like we're excited. We're here waiting. Like, They're not just going to get like lost in the system. Yeah. It just was so sweet. I thought I I loved those quotes from the family. Um, So that's my story. Um, Great story. Yeah. So unpacking. A lot of unpacking. The justice system severely broken, obviously, in a lot of ways. What? How did we get here? Like, how did we get to this? So I would be curious to know the percentage of wrongful convictions by race. Oh, right. I I don't have the data sitting in front of me, but I'm making an assumption here that it's, you know, I'm sure you can do some research um, on our wireless Internet capabilities that we have right now. But like, you know, I think part of this is goes back to episode one and episode two in a way, this cognitive and racial bias um, to put people in places where you think they should be. Yeah. Um, and most, I would say, I would make an argument that most prosecutors are white, white males. I would make that argument in the country on, on average. So I think, I think race is a huge part of this. Are you ready for this? Yep. 
A majority of innocent defendants wrongfully convicted of crimes and later exonerated African Americans constitute 47% of the 1900, 1900 exonerations listed in the National Registry of Exonerations as of October 2016. Almost half. And do we know what the other... So that that's the number one... That's obviously the number one race, right? Yeah, I just... I mean, so I haven't quite looked up any other ones. I think racial bias is a huge part of it. And I think that I'm not giving prosecutors a, a, um, a, an escape here, but I think that there's a pressure to close cases and move on to the next one because there's so many cases. So yeah. there's probably this idea. Like, I had this thought. I don't know how we got here. I mean, I'm think, I, have an, I have partial an idea. I don't know for sure that we have how we got here. But what if you... Like, what if you evaluated prosecutors like like the punishment, like the idea you could say the punishment for a wrongful conviction and, and proof that you cut corners and did things outside the box could be this. You could get that conviction yourself. Then no one would be prosecuted. Right. Because what prosecutor right, no would, would be do worth it. the risk? Yeah. Right. I guess I'm changing the subject as to how to remedy where we're at. That's what I'm trying to think of. I don't know how, I know. how we got here, I think, is racial bias and a ton of a ton of crime that we put on. A few people in a city to figure out. Yeah, I think for me, I think the only thing that's going to change it is that people continue to be aware of this and that when we elect the officials who oversee this, who brag about convictions on their watch and what their department looks like um, for reelection, that we do a more thorough investigation of like wrongful convictions that you've had or what did those convictions actually look like? Yeah. What were the evidence? Like we, it, it shouldn't just be about the number of convictions. And I think it always has been. Yeah. So the higher amount that you get, the more we think you're cleaning up the streets well, and, and we love you for it. And, and it's just going to take things like this being shoved in your face over and over and over to be like, Hmm, maybe you're, not cleaning up the streets maybe you're just telling me you are but like in this case were was were the streets cleaned up at all no 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 the, the murderer is literally still walking around yes and we have still. dna on the hat and it's too late right it it's just been too long for them yeah. to try to try him 100%. because because they can't people can't have memories from that anymore they can't remember that week and what they did and, you know, the way that you can in the days to weeks after. Yeah. Next question. What would you do if this happened to you? Because it took Eric Kelly and Ralph Lee 24 years to become free again. They maintained their innocence since before they were convicted. I can't like the the rage that I have just thinking about if it was me or one of my kids or one of my friends. Right. I mean, it's these people I don't even know. And I feel this. I feel a very similar sense of rage. Like we get one shot. We get one life. And this is your story. You're locked up unjustly. And the evidence is there for a majority of the time. Right. And you're still locked up for another nine years. Or and eight years. the evidence also wasn't there the whole time. And the people and locked, locked you up. up. And the people locked you up have zero repercussions. I mean, you right. could you could say it's a jury that did it, but the evidence and the way they got there, it, it, you had no chance. Right. So the fact that the justice system is the 
antithesis of what it actually is for these people is what kills me. And I, I mean, it, it like makes me want, it makes me think about like, what am I, like, what am I doing? These people are doing God's work. You know what I mean? Like they're doing really tough work that needs to be done. It's like, like if it was me, I mean, I'm losing my mind just thinking about it. Yeah. So based on what you just said, that's a great way for people to help. And the Innocence Project and Centurion Ministries both have easy ways that you can donate on their website. Um, Innocenceproject.org, Centurion.org. Very simple. You also like I I still want to talk about. Oh, I have to. There's another thing that I have to tell you. Okay. So one, I just thought that it was important to note that the average cost to free an innocent person is three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I actually did not. When I saw that number, I was like, I was blown away. I could not believe that that's the cost that these um, nonprofits are undertaking for every person that they take on. Um, is, is huge. And so again, like I said, you can donate to them, innocenceproject.org, centurion.org. And also if you're a lawyer, why aren't you doing this with your profession, with your niche? Yeah. Like, why are you trying to make money? Like, yeah. Why are you trying to help me fend off lawsuits and not be fighting for these people? You know what I mean? Totally. Like this is a good opportunity for you to take a minute and think this through. Like we're going to donate, but you guys should really switch yeah, jobs. Yeah, we're going to donate, but you should definitely change your... You know, jobs. Yeah. Yeah. You're perfect. You should change your focus. <laughs> um, so one other thing that was really interesting about the trial and I could I could go on and on and on because I can't even tell you how much I had to summarize this. These there are two cases. There's so much more evidence that I was just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like I, it was hard for me to choose what I wanted to yep. say. Um, so you can read about them. The sites that I um, reference were youmishlaw.com, uh, again, innocenceproject.org and centurion.org. You can read about their cases because it's just, if you love stuff like this, you will really enjoy these articles. Um, at Ralph Lee's trial, Detective Reyes testified that another witness named James Thompson said on July 29th, the day after the murder, that he also came into the store and saw a black man behind the counter that he had never seen before. Reyes showed him some photos and Thompson was not able to identify the man from the store. So Reyes did not take his statement. So he took everyone else's statement. I wish we were on video right now. I know. You know what I mean? Like if we were on video, this thing would be viral. No, wait a second. Because I'm literally putting my head through a piece of drywall that I just had painted. It gets worse because this alone is such huge red flags for going after the people that he decides to go after. Then on July 31st, two days later. Thompson comes back to the station and looked at two photo lineups that contained both um, Ralph Lee and Eric Kelly and did not identify either of them or anyone in the lineup as the man he saw from the store. Thompson said that he told police he knew Eric and Ralph, so he would have recognized them if they had been in the store. He also frequented the store and knew the owners who manned it regularly. He knew Eric. He knew Ralph. Yeah. He knew the people yep. that worked there. This was a man he'd never seen before. Yep. It doesn't work for Reyes, so he does not take that statement. Yeah. 
Of course. Of course he doesn't take the statement. I know, but it just... It bothers me so much. It just really... It hurts my heart. It does hurt my heart, too. And so I asked the question, like, why... Like, who hears this story and thinks, nah. Like, what prosecutor goes to this process? Like, I'm doing the good. I'm doing it because I'm I'm getting bad guys off the streets, whether they did this or not. I've heard that quote before on a million of the documentaries that I've watched on stories just like this, right? Yeah. He may not have been convicted of this, but something else he probably, I mean, he didn't, that's not a direct quote, but it's like the mentality. Yeah. It's like, I'm saving somebody else from getting potentially murdered at some point because (laughs) this person meets a criteria that I cognitively believe that they're in. Yeah. I, I tend to think that it's just like more of a game and, and lawyers and. So how do you evaluate then prosecutors then? Like what, how would you fix this? But I mean, like even a lawyer gets to choose what they say and what they don't say. I mean, DNA. Like if you, if you aren't smart enough to figure something out and you don't bring it up, the other side certainly isn't going to. They're they're not going to say, to be fair, there's this evidence that doesn't support what we're saying. They won't. So it feels like this big game of who can win. And what really is unfair to me, too, is that you have to know who a good lawyer is and that they're going to do a good job for you. That was part of it, too. Like neither of them had very, a very good defense team. Um, They weren't represented very well in their cases. And that also is unfair, I think. I just feel like, why can't we change this to like a more scientific approach where it's like, you have to, you have to do what the evidence says. You can't ignore something. If something conflicts, it is your job to follow that trail. You must. Why? Why can't, why can't that be part of the rule? So the, you're right. You're hundred. And that, that is part of the rules. That is the rules. I would argue that's the rules. Just, Just these prosecutors have so much power. I that they have don't, never heard that they have to that they have well, to investigate you, anything they don't want to. Okay, what I mean is like don't I don't know if the again, hopefully maybe I'm gonna be corrected here, but isn't there like an oath that public servants take to you know protect the innocent to uphold the blah, law? Blah 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like is I it, don't know what the oath is, so I couldn't speak to that. I'm just saying that time and time again we see that they're allowed to present a case that benefits what they allege and that's it they don't have to present anything the other thing too that's crazy is that the state gets gets to collect everything first which is fine yep. like and then at a certain point all of that evidence is to be turned to be turned over to the defense they mm-hmm. have to do all their own testing they yeah. have to pay for all of that i know the taxpayers pay for the testing. Yes. Yes. The taxpayers pay for the testing for the state. And then if you want it's, to prove yourself innocent, yes. you should find the money to pay for that testing as well. And so if the state deems that like something seems risky to test, then they won't test it. So then that then this person would have to fund testing of those things, do all their own testing, do all their own collecting of evidence, go back through the crime scenes after the state's already had like, you know, all the time that they need and they've removed things and things have changed. It just is like, I, I get it. I understand how it has to be that way to a degree, but then also it's like this, it's like the odds are stacked against you. 
It feels like right now you and I are at the quintessential moment of a Nicolas Cage movie where, you know, you're like to, you're about to figure like everything's starting to make sense. And then something's going to happen. That's going to erase our brains or like, oh you know what gosh. I mean? Like we're all going to die underneath a pyramid. Like that's next. But I feel like we're there. Like, like, do you, if you evaluated prosecutors, not on the number of convictions that they got, but on the quality of convictions that they got. And that was oh, the metric. Yes. Then you would see it. You would see an immediate change because people are more, people want to keep roofs over their heads. Like that's basic, right. e- basic instincts, basic economic instincts right there. Or if there was a person elected who came in and um, did like, what's the word that I'm looking for when people like check up on what you're doing? Evaluations. Yeah. Like eval- they, yeah, an evaluation. If they eval, if they were elected and evaluated the prosecutor, uh-huh. and the whole point of like their election would be that they would be able to show these discrepancies, but I guess then they could just be bought. Yeah, I mean, and then but the, how would we know the quality without here's, somebody has here's to do the that? Problem too is in these situations, like okay, so do you remember when in- Invisible Children was really popular back when we were back in like two thousand? five to 2010 it was they talked about these kids in uganda that were being taken into become like militant soldiers at the age of like eight yes so that caused a lot of outrage because there they had no voice and it 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 seems like this massive injustice right and it is it is a massive injustice i'm not saying it's not but why would someone be motivated to come in and evaluate all these pro let's say let's say i ran for mayor of grand rapids which i wouldn't mayor bliss i think you're fantastic and i'm on we love you mayor I'm, bliss. I'm in your corner why would a mayor be motivated to or a, a, an official that to come in and and try to tell the story of or to help five to six people that are probably in the Kent county system right now let's say that are on lifetime that are in jail for more than five years more than eight Five days is 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 bunk for for being innocent, but you know what I mean. Like the motivation right. to find those five cases, the, what what it would take in political capital to do that wouldn't be worth it. You wouldn't be oh, around. Hundred percent. I know. You'd have to you'd upset the police, the chief of police. You'd upset. Oh man, a billion baby boomers. You know what I mean? It would just be like incredible the amount of people you piss off to find to save these five people. I am going to. Here's what I'm going to do. Because I really want to know how this can get better and and how we can improve because there's you can always improve. There's it's not like we're at a dead end. I am going to reach out to the Innocence Project and Centurion Ministries, and I'm going to try to find out if somebody will talk to me and let me know like what the remedy that they see because they're doing this every day all day, all the time. And, and so I want to find out, I I would trust their opinion. And I think that they're well equipped to give advice on something like that. We Um, can do a mini episode. That'd be so fun. That'd be so great. If they would come on the cast. Well, you you just interview them. It'd be like a 30 minute cast. I know. I would love it. It'd be amazing. So this is my story for today. As you can see, I think Adam and I could it's a space where we could just go on and on and on trying to debate this and figure this out and more and more questions would come up. Um, but I'm curious to know what kind of questions you guys have, what thoughts you have, how we can improve our judicial system and limit these things from happening. Um, again, like if you want to donate, look up these 
these organizations. And you can also read about a lot of other exoneration cases on their websites, which are, they're all incredible. It's so beautiful to read these stories. Yeah. So, yeah. We will put all that in the show notes. You can see that below here on your phone or wherever you're getting your podcast. Um, Beth and I are going to donate. You should too. And uh, this is, this is the small steps we can take to try to make a difference they in, add a, up. in a really effed up situation. Yeah. And the so. small steps do make a difference. Yep. Don't think that your dollar or $5, anything, just talking about it makes a difference. If you can't donate money, talk about this yeah. on social media. Tell talk about story. injustice. Look up other people's stories and tell people about them. Yep. Make people infuriate, infuriated and outraged by this type of injustice and don't settle for it. That's free. And if you think that if you Beth and I are on the same page here, but if you think we're wrong, I would I'm completely sincerely interested in why. Yes, we are. And why these situations are. If, if you think like it's unfortunate they were locked up, but it's for the greater good. I would be very interested and I would definitely give that space on the show to talk about your point of view. If you want to message us, our emails are in the show notes. You can get us on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter. Um, I'd be very interested because that that's part of this is like, I, I really want this oper- this to be a forum where people, you know, even if you're hundred percent against us, we're going to give you the, you know, we'll, we'll definitely give your take some, some life. You may and have we'll talk something really compelling. Yeah. I could be in quadrant us- one. It could be great to lock people up. Quartile. Quartile one. It could be the right thing. Yeah. I could be completely blind. Feels like it's not going to happen. Doesn't but- feel like that's going to happen. Yeah. Try um, somebody out there. Try. Beth, you killed it. Great episode. I'm raged. I'm going to be up till 3 a.m. just thinking oh, about this because I feel you. I feel helpless. Like I can't do anything other than give money. Yeah, um, talking about this does something. Talking about it does something. You make people think. Question. Really good show. Thanks. We'll be back at it next week. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.